For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn, people. Because you're tuned to the Ozarks' number one show about your money. Randy Floyd, founder of Floyd Financial Group, will be your guide for straight talk about living the life you deserve in retirement. Prepare to be empowered. Now, here's your show me the money host, Randy Floyd. Thank you so much. Welcome to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade, and I'm just here to ask the questions. But of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Randy and Jake Floyd at Floyd Financial Group. First off, Randy, how are you doing this morning? Doing very well, Jeff. How about you? I'm doing great. Thank you. And Jake, always glad to have you on the show because I can't wait to hear what you're going to say today. But how are you doing? You know, I'm doing pretty good, Jeff. We're just, again, very uh, grateful here after Thanksgiving, and I think it's good to reflect on the things we do have rather than focusing on the things we don't have, and less complaining and more gratitude. There you go. We need to have an attitude of gratitude, not only at this time of the year, but all through the year, because, of course, we are in a great country. We We do have a lot of great things going for us, so let's focus on things positive today. And we're going to start off by uh, focusing on something that many times isn't as positive as we would like it to be, and that's current events, and particularly the Fed. You know, we talked last week, the Fed has just not given up, are they? Are there more rate hikes, do you think, in the future here, at least so far this year? I think there's definitely more rate hikes in the future. You know, we've had a plethora of Fed presidents and ex-Fed presidents and uh, voting members of the FOMC committee over the last couple of weeks. They've just been chattering nonstop trying to keep this market and the economy from running away with itself. And I think that that's probably going to continue all the way through the next Fed meeting, which I believe is December 14th is when they're going to give their next announcement. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, how big a rate hike they're going to do. I'd say it's probably likely they're going to do 50 unless there's some kind of shocking number Mm -hmm. one direction or the other on the CPI report, which is immediately before the meeting convenes there. So yeah, I I think there's definitely more hiking to do. All the Fed members have been saying, hey, we got to hike some more. And I think that what's really going to be interesting is to see how high we go before we pause. Right. Hey, there's a few people out there, though, like Professor Jeremy Siegel and some other people that's saying that the Fed has already broken it off and it's not good and they've gone too far and they're going to crash land us worse than they have to in a recession. And, you know, I got to say, you know, one of the things that came up was the fact that part of the consumer price index is housing and that housing represents as much as 40% of that from housing and rents. Mm -hmm. And he says that that's a big lag there. And so the one year lag, I would agree. So if that's the case, we may already be well down the road to taming this dragon that we've been trying to put back in the box. But I don't know. You know, I I do think you're right. There's more rate hikes to come. Everybody seems to want to try to get dovish here. But, uh, you know, Jerome Powell has not said he's going to do that yet. Mm -hmm. I also think, Randy, that while housing is definitely showing some signs of weakness, it's pretty much the only thing that's showing signs of weakness at this point. And I'm not sure that they can, in good conscience, pause rate hiking when and everybody's still spending as hard as they can possibly spend. You know, we saw those statistics the other day about the credit card debt versus savings rates. And, mm-hmm. you know, I wish radio had a had a place for me to put a chart up, but it was pretty wild to see 
you know how much everybody is raking on their credit card right now. Uh, it's just unbelievable, and savings rates are at hmm. major all time, well, not all time, but certainly recent lows. While they're spending on the credit card as wow. fast as they can. So one thing I will say is inflation will definitely fix itself one way or another. The question is is whether we've seen the top or if we prematurely pause, we may see a much higher inflation rate before this thing ultimately comes down. In both cases, inflation definitely comes down. It's just how much pain we have to take to get it down is the question. I think it's probably better if we just if we go ahead and keep hiking and get mm-hmm. it over with now. If they if they blink too soon, we talked a little bit about this last week, but if they blink too soon and they start pausing or even cutting, inflation is going to come roaring back and it will be much harder to slay that dragon the second time around. Well, this entire year of 2022 to me seems like one big football game. I mean, it's been hike, 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 hike. And as you said, 50 basis points possibly before the end of the year. How far do you see this going? I mean, do you see us continuing to, to hike these uh, rates on into the early part of 23? I mean, I know you don't have a crystal ball that works, but what do you see down the tunnel? Well, I'll answer that and then I'll let Randy weigh in what he thinks, because this is, this is one place where we have a little bit of a difference of opinion, not a huge difference, but I think we're probably going to see 50 in December. We're going to see 25 or 50 at the end of January. And then, you know, it's it's going to be a lot dependent on the data at that point. But it's hard for me to see how they can just stop right there. Uh, we're going to have all the numbers from Christmas. We're going to see that everybody spent themselves into oblivion. You know, all the airlines are having record sales, not because their planes are full or they're running a lot of planes, but because tickets are just 60% more than they were two yeah. years ago. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, I don't think that's a recipe for inflation taming itself. Well, and you know, Jake, I agree with you. I mean, what we've seen here is, and I think we're still seeing it, the fear of getting behind the recession eight ball as a CEO. These guys have really overshot raising their prices to combat the loss of earnings based on the producer price index and what things cost them to make things. So it's going to be interesting to watch how that plays out. And I do think that we will get to the other side of this next year. I think we're going to see that that the supply chain is going to get filled back up. When the supply chain gets filled back up, I think there's good argument that there's going to start to be deals and that's going to drive prices lower. I think automobiles is one of the areas that we're seeing that, you know, my my nephew runs a pretty sizable dealership down in Dallas, and mm-hmm. he's saying that, you know, they are seeing that new cars are coming through better. And even though we're talking about chip shortage, chip shortage, chip shortage, you know, for building these cars, he says it is getting better across the board there. So that's a big piece of it. But I do think, too, that you were talking earlier, Jake, about how when – during the pandemic, when all the money was flowing in, how much money people were actually saving. Because a lot of these people didn't lose their jobs. They didn't get laid off. We kept sending them money. And so it just shows a big spike in how much money was in their bank accounts. And then it shows over the last six months or so how that money has gone back down. And at the same time, how credit card debt has spiraled out of control here. So I think you're right. I I think that with the combination of what the Fed is doing by raising rates, the fact that people are running out of money, people got spoiled maybe a little bit, and they've been spending a lot more money than they did prior to the pandemic on a limited supply, which drove the price higher again. So I think we may see some relief mid-year next year. I also think that basically inflation is going to end one of two ways. Either the Fed is going to destroy demand, 
by continuing to increase rate hikes, which I think I'm hopeful, I guess I should say. I don't know that I think they will, but I'm hopeful that they will because that's an easier way out. Or what will happen is the consumer will eventually run out of credit. Mm-hmm. And they're running these, not only are they raking all these credit cards, but they're doing it with you know 30% plus variable rates. Yeah. And, you know, that is going to crush them financially. And, you know, it'd be it'd just be easier if the Fed would just smash it and get it over yeah. with. And then we can start picking up the pieces and rebuilding. But one of those two things is going to happen. We're either going to run out of money to spend or the Fed is going to crush it. And either way, there's going to be some pain, but we will get to the other side of it. And, you know, I think on the back side of this, there's going to be a huge opportunity uh, similar to, you know, the cryptocurrency thing that's blowing up in people's faces right now. And we'll right. talk about that a little later <clears throat> in the show. Yeah. And I still can't wrap my head around this, Jake and Randy. People are using credit cards like they're going out of style. And like you said, 30 percent interest. I mean, I don't know what's going through their minds. Maybe you can enlighten me a little bit, but I'm totally the opposite. I've sort of put credit cards away. I've gone to an all cash basis because I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I can't pay those credit cards off in full. What's going through people's minds using these credit cards the way that they are? I mean, it doesn't make any sense, really, to be raking those cards no. right now as hard as you can because you're. I mean, you're going to pay three, four, five times over. Right what that dinner cost you or what that oh, yeah. big screen TV cost you. And I, you know, and again, that's a little harsh, I guess, but at the mm. same time, you know, it doesn't take a math genius to understand that, you know, if you're, if you're going to be paying that stuff off over two or three years at 30% interest, I mean, oh, you're going to be paying a lot of interest. And I think that again, that's going to end. Right. What will happen is we'll start to see credit cards start to cancel cards and right. lower limits at right. some point when they start to see the squeeze they start to see the risk go up they will start closing accounts mm-hmm. lowering limits if you pay off a card they'll send you a letter right after and says hey we've closed your account thank you for your <laughs> business right and for those people who want to buy uh, big ticket items you know finance those things too that does affect their credit score when they do close those cards or lower those uh, limits because then your credit utilization goes up more. That means the amount of credit that you're using versus the amount of credit that you have. So that is something to consider. Another uh, thing that I read, gentlemen, is about uh, retailers here during Christmas season. Of course, Black Friday was yesterday and, uh, you know, the shopping season in full swing for the holiday season. But I understand that retailers could have uh, a very disappointing season. Have you heard anything about that? Do you have an explanation as to why? You know, Jeff, I'm not sure that it will be that weak. I think they probably have enough available credit to make sure that it's fairly strong. I'm not sure, though, that they're going to buy things that they need. I think everybody is in overdrive of, Mm -hmm. I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. You know, but we are starting to see some of the supply part of this ease, which is allowing people to spend even more than they should be spending because they can actually order the things that they want. We're starting to see, you know, vehicles that have been long on back order get enough chips to get those vehicles brought to market and that kind of thing. But you know, I got to tell you, it's just there, there's no easy way out of this. Some of these guys, some of the talking heads uh, and some of the hedge fund managers and these people have said, you know, well, you know, is it going to be a soft landing or a hard landing? Meaning, are we going to be able to land this plane easily with hiking rates or is it going to hurt? Right. And one guy, one guy was on there last week and said, I don't even think there's going to be a landing. It's just going to be smooth and it's going to be easy. Hmm. And I'm like, that is not 
how you know th- this is not going to be a fairy tale ending. I'm no. just telling you that yeah. there's just no way that we're going to absorb a 20% hit on housing when no. people have 3% down. You know, a tripling in the amount of interest you're paying on a loan. I mean, there's just there's just no way that that goes over easily and and we're not even done yet you know at this point so i think the notion that that we can just get out easily is is very false and i think that there's more pain but again i don't want to be a super doomsday on here i i I really do think that every problem presents an opportunity right every time uh and we talk about this with our clients in our in consultations that anytime we have an asset class that is down a lot you know whether it's real estate or stocks or whatever it is Obviously, we don't want to be taking losses in there, but for the people that did not lose money in that, right, now you have a major opportunity. There's no such thing really as a bad asset class. There's simply bad timing, right? So if I think real estate has a lot further to go down, I don't want to buy it now, but guess what? They're not making any more real estate out there. No, they aren't. You know, and over time, what will happen is we'll find a bottom and then it's going to start going the other way again. And for those who are paying attention, advisors, individuals, there will be huge opportunities to capitalize on, on the other side of this. It's just, I feel like it's our job on this show to paint a realistic picture of, you know, the fact that there's going to be some pain followed by some big opportunity. Right. You talked about that smooth landing. Some people think, you know, those wheels are going to touch down right there shortly at the end of the runway. We're going to break. It's going to be nice, but I think we're going to bounce a couple of times and we'll stop probably just short of (laughs) the end of the runway there. But we will stop. America is resilient. As we've talked about before in this program, we will get through this. We've gotten through a lot worse things and I have great confidence. You're listening to Randy and Jake with Floyd Financial Group on Show Me the Money. Glad you could join us. We hope you've had a great Thanksgiving. We are thankful for you being there with us every Saturday morning. Again, we want to remind you that if you're looking to sit down and talk with Randy and Jake about your individual situation, you'd like a financial plan, no cost, no obligation, no judgment for a conversation with Randy and Jake to get yours. Call 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233. You can also request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. That's floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, gentlemen. We'll be right back with more of Show Me the Money right here on, of course, my favorite radio station, 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready for a heaping helping of some more real talk? Thought so. Here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your server, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to talk a little bit about the election that is mostly done, right? Yeah. And then also (laughs) we'll talk a little bit about uh, the Speaker of the House changing, right? That's right. So anyway, uh, so Jeff, what did you think about the election results? Did you like it or not? Well, I was a little disappointed. Uh, Everybody was expecting this red wave and it just didn't happen. And again, I can't quite wrap my head around that. Because, I mean, I'm not happy with with the way things are going, and I can't believe that the populace of America is happy with the way things are going, but I've been surprised before. What's your opinion on that? I think what's kind of interesting about it is, why does it take 12 and 15 days to count the votes? Yeah. I I remember when I was a kid, and we would have all these election results the election night. Why all of a sudden, in today's age of technology, does it take 15 times as long to count the votes? I think the answer is obvious, and uh, I don't think it needs to be repeated, but... There's only one reason you would need 15 days to count the votes, and that's if you're trying to figure out how to engineer it in your favor. I guess. 
I don't know. You're, you know, I've thought about the same thing, Jake. I mean, I've thought about exactly the same thing in little small towns, you know. They count them on the fingers of one hand, then they take off their shoes, and, and that's how you get the votes counted. But, I mean, it shouldn't be that hard to count votes, especially in today's world where you've got computers and so forth. So, yeah, I have never understood why it takes weeks, sometimes months, to count votes. It, it's just a baffling mystery to me. But you're suggesting that possibly maybe there's a little something going on uh, once in a while. I'm not, we're not going to say that there is, but it's possible. I can't yeah. see any other reason, though, why they would need to take so long. And the, the other thing I would say is, like you said, Jeff, you go into these smaller towns, and not only what you said, but I think you know the people in there if you're from a small town, right? right. They're, they're volunteers, and they're most likely your neighbor is one of the people in there doing the counting. So... I mean, there's just no way, even if you do two recounts, it doesn't take 15 days. That's just, no. that's lunacy. Yeah, um, I would agree with that for sure. So anyway, the election, like we said, didn't maybe go exactly the way that uh, some of us would like to have seen it, but we did get control of the House, and uh, that's the purse strings. So I feel like that that was a positive in, in many ways. The other thing that's uh, happening in the House is we're going to enter a brand new era. How long was... Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House. Let me say this. It seemed like forever to me, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know how long it actually was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do think that watching her resign as Speaker of the House might have been one of the highlights of my year. Wait a minute. Let's get the soapbox out. Step up. Step up, Jake. Okay. Continue. <laughs> you know, continue. The, well, there was a lot of jokes out there online that, you know, she was retiring as Speaker to become a hedge fund manager, you know, because <laughs> she's she's just constantly, you know, working investments in her favor. You know, there's there's probably never been a more successful investor than Nancy Pelosi and her husband on the backs of Americans based on her inside. I mean, if that's not inside information, I don't know what is. I mean, if you're literally up there legislating your way to multi-millions of dollars, that's criminal in my opinion. But at least she's gone now and, uh, you know, we can, we can move on to some extent. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I don't know who we're going to get for sure. But uh, I would say this, that I'm just really looking forward to yeah. whoever it is <laughs> that's, that's different at this point. And again, the fact that, you know, the Republicans are going to at least have some control over the spending a little bit more now. And really, you know, the fact that we didn't get the other side, while we would have liked to have had both sides, everybody says, well, now we're just going to be, you know, stalemated and... Honestly, for business, that's not necessarily a bad thing where things don't move as quickly and the targets aren't as hard to hit if you're a business person trying or a company or a CEO trying to plan and look forward. No change is sometimes better than all the change that we've had, especially if we think about mm -hmm. over the last 24 months, how the world has kind of inversed itself right before our very eyes here, you know. But anyway, moving along on that, uh, let's talk next about, you know, everybody is asking, hey, are we in a recession? Are we going to have a recession? I know we've talked about this briefly already, mm -hmm. but I want to continue down this path here a little bit. You know, we've talked about this, that generally when we have two quarters of negative GDP, that's considered a recession, except, of course, when it isn't because the definition gets changed. So yeah, the I, left can barely even say recession. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. So, you know, we know that we, we've always had recessions in the past. We've always had market cycles. Sometimes they are just that market cycles and nothing goes up forever. Even the, I remember as a kid, you know, I used to love and get, love to get these helium balloons, right? Yeah. You remember getting those, Jeff? And it was like, oh, oh yeah. look at that thing float. Look at that thing go. Yeah. And then once in a while, what would you do? You know, I mean, I would, I would let mine go, not intentionally most of the time, but I I'd watch it go and watch it go and watch it go. And eventually what happened to that balloon? 
well, it, it popped. Yeah. You know, so it's just like anything else in the economy. It's the same way. You know, we have to have these recessions. We have to have resets to get things back to where we can run and go again. And and it's no different this time through. We just had some extra pressure put on this one by the fact that we had a pandemic that we had. Because again, you know, we were in 11 year, we had an 11 year bull market run this last time. And that was the longest in history. So we knew that the balloon was about to pop anyway, most likely. And then we had the pandemic and all the money printing and the lack of supply and the shutting down of everything. So are we going to have a recession? Yes, we're going to have a recession. And this is going to sound harsh, and I don't want people to think bad of me. I'm just going to say, you know, there's going to have to be some pain. People are going to lose their homes. They're going to lose their jobs. They're going to have to move, and sometimes they can't move because they couldn't possibly buy another house at 7% interest rates because they bought enough house at 3% or 2% to where they can't really stand to have the extra increase in their housing costs. So uh, as we look at all this, I just think we have to get back to a position. And with Thanksgiving just having passed, I think this is appropriate. We need to get back to where we are thankful to have a job. We're thankful to have food. We're thankful to have a lot of things rather than, you know, I only have $1,000 cell phone. I'd like to have two. And so, (laughs) or, you know, I want to have a job, but, you know, I want to be off every Wednesday by 2.30 so I can get my hair and nails done or, you know, whatever it is. It's, It's a, there's a sense of entitlement that has to be wiped clean mm-hmm. in order for us to come out of the other side of this. Yeah. And I don't I don't want to get too on the soapbox, but I think yeah. that we have to push this through the pipeline all the way and then we can be back to prosperity on the other side. But if we don't remove the tumor, so to speak, right. we're just never going to get better. Well, I remember in periods of unemployment, I mean, a job to me has always been a status symbol. Look at Bob over there. He's got a job. Look at him showing off, going to work, and then coming back, he's got a job. And I don't think you really can ever take for granted that you do have a job because so many people are being laid off these days. I mean, 11,000 people at Twitter, whatever they're calling it these days. I mean, other major tech companies have had layoffs. So, yeah, and uh, we, we've talked We're about... We're going to see more of that, yeah. too, Jeff, before this is over. We talked about Carvana in the past, and... Uh, I mean, I just saw they laid off a whole bunch of people, like 8% of the workforce, something like that. Well, the stock is down about 97% percent. So if you're looking to sell a car to Carvana, you better do it today. <laughs> so a, a lot of people think that companies are these geniuses. Mm-hmm. Carvana is the perfect example of being the perfect business at the perfect time. And then when that wore off, yeah. it just imploded. And I mean, honestly... It hasn't even got bad yet for Carvana. I mean, Car- I mean, we're just as as far as their stock price is way down because the market is anticipating what's coming. Right. But Carvana had the perfect environment, right, where where you couldn't get a new vehicle, so it made the whole country their captive market, where everybody has to do used, and so you have to buy used and sell used vehicles. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not shocking whenever you can start buying a new vehicle again that things are going to come down. And when you can start, when prices start to come down on used vehicles, Carvana's holding tons and tons and tons of inventory. And as these prices come down, they're going to be holding it right. while it gets devalued. So they're mm-hmm. going to be they're going to be selling these cars at less than they paid for them. Yeah. Well, again, I don't think it takes a genius to understand that's not a good business, right? No. <laughs> if, if I if I buy something for five dollars and sell it for four, I'm not going to be in business very long. But you know, they're just one example, though. 
of a ton of companies that are going to go through a similar setup just because the times have changed and and it's exposing these companies that are not super well run and not very forward thinking that are over hiring over spending including some of the biggest tech companies out there are struggling with this right now and so that's why you're seeing a lot of these layoffs is is it's not so much that they're firing people they need it's they're they're getting rid of the people that they've just accumulated and accumulated and accumulated that they really don't need. Right. And I think it'll be somewhat of a miracle if Carvana does survive. I mean, with stock prices down that much, it was a good business model for the time. But I think you got to look at the long-term future when you set things up like this. And Carvana just really didn't look ahead to when things turned around a little bit. We're talking about whether or not we're in a recession with Randy and Jake Floyd at Floyd Financial Group. Just a few more minutes in this particular segment, gentlemen. You know, recession, the base word of that is recede. And for me, I think I've been in a recession for a while because I've receded in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm not buying the things that I used to. Is that basically a good way to tell whether or not we're in a recession if your personal habits have changed, you're not spending like you used to? That's a really good question, Jeff, and I'm going to answer it this way. I had some folks in here yesterday, and as we were talking about how we were watching credit card debt go up while personal savings rate goes down, the people that we see coming in here to us that are about to retire and those that are really right there on the cusp of it, what they've done is reduce and reduce and reduce and reduce their debt Mm -hmm. while other people are increasing, 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 and increasing their debt. And so what we're seeing uh, is that there's just a group of people out there, and, and there's, it's probably just their stage of life. And I think probably we all went through that where, you know, we, we had to borrow to buy because we were raising kids mm-hmm. where our job wasn't quite where we wanted it to be. And then as we got older, you know, and the kids left the house and maybe we got college paid for and all that, we made more money than we've ever made in our lives as we get closer to retirement as a general rule. And we've saved some money, and so it's easier to get there. But right now, what we're seeing is the conservative people, the people that have really retained a lot of wealth and even made wealth through this situation with COVID and and the last couple of years, it's just kind of a different mindset that they have. And the one thing that uh, we talked about and have talked about many times on this show is the fact that you cannot make somebody wealthy by just continually giving them money because that doesn't teach them how to handle money mm-hmm. or how to make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it handicaps them, if anything, because, you know, always we hear the Democrats are wanting to say, well, you know, these people just, they just need some money in their pocket and then they'll be okay, right? Well, <laughs> well, no, no, because when we put the money in their pocket, they go spend that and they just say, well, I think I need some more money in my pocket. And so eventually you run out of other people's money to spend. Yeah. And that's kind of where we're getting to. And I don't mean to be harsh or mean to anybody, but, you know, at some point you have to learn to pay yourself first so that you can start to save and develop some equity in things, because that is when you start to really understand how wealth works, how money works, Mm -hmm. and the freedom that that brings uh, and comfort as well. Yeah. I also think that uh, to that point, Randy, that a lot of people talk about inequality and that we should redistribute the wealth, so to speak, so that the people that have less have more. Uh, Let me tell you something. If you want to see inequality, just keep giving broke people money. What you will do is you will balloon the assets of the top hundredth of 1% to levels that are that you've never even thought about seeing. And we've already seen that over the last two years where, you know, Elon Musk went from like 30 or 40 billion to 300 billion. It's likely that if we get through this recession and, and he makes it long enough, he'll probably become the first trillionaire. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't that long ago that we had the first billionaire, right? Or we had maybe only a handful of billionaires, you know, 25 years ago. Now there's like, I think there's 1,500 billionaires or something like that globally. So, and most of them are in the U.S. So I think it's case in point. It's like guns in Chicago, right? You take away the guns and crime goes through the roof. If you keep giving broke people money, inequality is going to run rampant. <clears throat> And we're not saying we shouldn't be charitable and we shouldn't help people. Right. What we are saying, though, is I think in this country we don't do a very good job of educating people about money and how things work. So one of the things that we always like to do here at Floyd Financial Group is, you know, as we come in and we sit down with people, one of the things we find is most people are not fully connected and understanding what their investments are. Mm-hmm. And so we like to take a little time to talk to people about, you know, what's important to them, talk to them about their investments, help them to understand what they own, and how how we might better position them for retirement, knowing that as we get closer to retirement, when we get in those last five or so years before we retire, we really need to make sure that we don't make any mistakes because we've worked 30, 40, 50 years to get there. And now we're right on the cusp of retirement. And so we really need to look at how portfolios are built and be sure we're using all the right tools for retirees as they get close to pulling that trigger and living the retirement that they've worked 30, 40, 50 years to have. We're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd here at Floyd Financial Group right here in the last bastion of Saturday, Springfield, Missouri. We've been talking about current events. We've been talking about whether or not we're in a recession. There's a lot more to come on the show, so don't go away. If you do not understand what you are in investment-wise, if you'd like to create a path to get you to retirement and keep you in retirement once you get there, call Randy and Jake at Floyd Financial Group. Sit down, ask your particular individual questions to get your specific individual answers. To get your no cost, no obligation, most importantly, no judgment financial plan. Call 417-889-7233. 417-889-7233. We still have some spots left this year to sit down and talk with Randy and Jake. You can also do it online. That is request your plan at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. Happy post-Thanksgiving. Glad you could join us on this Saturday morning. We'll take a break. Be right back with more of Show Me the Money after this right here on 104.1 FM KSGF or Spring Field comes to talk. People of the Ozarks, step away from the fishing pole and prepare to be shown the money because we're back with more Straight Talk with Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Randy and Jake, and this is Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about this thing called FTX and this young man that is under a lot of scrutiny right now, yeah. wouldn't you say, Jake? I would say so. They, they call him FSBF for short. That's Sam Bankman-Fried. But, but okay. yes, he's he's definitely in some hot water probably right now. Yeah, and you know, I'm a baseball fan, and all through the baseball season, the umpires have had FTX on their uniforms. And I thought, well, this is a big company, and I didn't know what it was. And then I realized it was cryptocurrency. And, I, and now I'm like, well, how could a company that's so big that's all over Major League Baseball, I mean, that's quite a heavy expenditure there. How could they be in hot water? But as you said, the water's boiling for FTX these days. Tell us more about that, Jake. What's happened? Well, you know, when you're uh, taking transaction fees, when people are selling air back and forth to each other, you can afford (laughs) a lot of baseball commercials. Yeah. That being said, it wasn't two months ago that he was bailing out other firms 
Well, now we know why he was bailing them out because he was he had to put a stop to Bitcoin going down so that he could and other crypto assets going down so that he could stave off his own demise here. Mm -hmm. And he claims that he did not know how much leverage he was using and things like that. But his actions two or three months ago, buying these distressed firms that really didn't help him at all would suggest otherwise. And I think we should probably zoom out and discuss a little bit about what's actually going on here. So FTX is a cryptocurrency exchange. So it's it's similar to Coinbase or Binance. And basically, it's a platform that people can house their cryptocurrency on and use it to buy and sell different cryptocurrencies. FTX also had its own proprietary cryptocurrency. And they also had another firm called Alameda. Mm-hmm. You know, people talk about decentralized finance or DeFi. And so some of the, that may be the first time a lot of people listening to the show have heard that term. But the basic idea is, is the big draw to cryptocurrency in general is that it's not regulated by the federal government. It's not tampered with by the federal government like the money supply is where we can just print money, suck that mm-hmm. money up, lower, raise interest rates, whatever it is. The cryptocurrency exists outside of that. And that's the big thing it brings to the table. Well, those people are now getting the other side of what that freedom allows for, which is no shelter from the carnage that this will bring as all this stuff is happening. So the FTX cryptocurrency, their own in-house currency, fell like 87% in one day and is now down, I think, 95% or so from its high. And, you know, how is something able to just implode like that? Well, there's no regulation and there's nothing backing it. It's just, it's all perception. You know, how much is, is something worth? It's worth what somebody's willing to pay on a given day. And people simply are not willing to pay for it anymore. What really got them in trouble, though, is leverage, meaning they were borrowing and lending on that cryptocurrency. So think of it like the housing market. So when a bank gives you a home loan, mm-hmm. The way they do that is they have assets that they've either gotten on deposit in like CDs or checking accounts or money that they that the bank has borrowed from the government and they loan that money out several times over, not just once. So that's called leverage. So if they if they loan that $1 out five times, that's five to one leverage. There are some cryptocurrency assets that are leveraged a hundred to one. Mm. So that means if you have one blow up, it blows up a hundred times. The last time that we saw that type of leverage being used was in 2008 with mortgage-backed securities and these things called CDOs. So a $400 billion problem became an $8 trillion problem. Warren Buffett, who I don't see super eye-to-eye on on a lot of issues, said something very wise about leverage, though. He said he said that those things are financial weapons of mass destruction. And he was referring to derivatives that are leveraged, and that is, that is very true. Most people don't understand what they are. Even the people selling them don't understand what they are. The same thing is happening in the cryptocurrency industry right now. Sam Bankman-Fried, who was the head of FTX, said, I didn't realize how much leverage we had. How can you not know how much leverage you have? You own the place, mm-hmm. you know, like <laughs> that, that's crazy. And he said, yeah, I thought we had about 5 billion in leverage. It turns out we had 13 billion. And so that's my bad. And we're like, my bad. He has millions of creditors that now have their hand out that thought they had their money safe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of that is going to cease to exist. The, the big thing that was happening, too, where the criminal part of this may come into play, and, you know, that remains to be seen. I'm not calling him a criminal. I'm just saying, you know, there's some elements here that look like fraud. 
and look like he's covering things up. So one of the things he was doing is he was taking money from FTX and lending it to Almeida, which is his other company. Mm-hmm. And then Almeida was taking it and giving it back to FTX, leveraging it again. And so that's the kind of stuff that you can't do in normal banking. You know, another question I would have for Mr. SBF over there is, if you're so above board, why did you go to the Bahamas to uh, make your headquarters and force all your employees to move to the Bahamas? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, it seems to me like you're trying to dodge the regulation and the scrutiny and oversight of the United States, Europe, and every other developed nation on the planet because there's a lot. It's kind of like being based out of Delaware in the United States. There's a reason to do that. And the Bahamas is known for housing headquarters of gambling organizations and, and those types of things so that they can skirt a lot of the regulation from developed nations. So... You know, I'm not saying the guy's a criminal, but I am saying that, you know, if you really want decentralized finance, this is what it looks like. It's the Wild West. You never know what you're going to get. And this is, you know, a product of that. There was a time in the recent past when crypto was all the rage. All I heard was crypto this, crypto that. I've made a lot of money in crypto. A lot of people have lost money with cryptocurrency as well, too. With FTX and its uh, demise, the problems that it's having here, do you think that that is going to throw a really dark shadow over the entire cryptocurrency rage? I do. I think I think the shadow has was already being cast, right? So Bitcoin, which is arguably by a lot of people's uh, measurement would be the only legitimate cryptocurrency out there. So mm-hmm. a lot of the other coins that were invented, there's thousands of them are just, you know, somebody's they dreamt it up one day and started trading it and people just started buying it for no reason and you know there's nothing really behind it. There's no technology behind it. You know, so Bitcoin maybe Ethereum would be the the only other one worth mentioning. But Bitcoin was at 65,000 a coin. Right. And, you know, last week it was at 15,000. You know, when it was falling and it started to really come down around 40,000, I had speculated that I thought it might go single digits. And people are like, oh, that's crazy. There's no way it's ever going to come down there. Well, it hasn't yet. You know, we'll see. But I would, I would say that, you know, 15,000 is a long way down from 65. So the real part of this that that remains to be seen is how many other of these firms are going to fail as a result Mm -hmm. of FTX. So think of it this way. If FTX had dealings with Binance and Crypto.com and Kraken and a lot of these other exchanges, when FTX just evaporates, now they have to start selling their assets to cover those losses. And then another one evaporates, right? And then they have to sell those assets to cover those losses. And so, I mean, before it's over, there may only be one or two of these guys left standing. And if that's the case, we could definitely see single-digit Bitcoin. Now I'm going to say something really radical. Uh Uh-oh. That may be a buying opportunity when that actually happens. Okay. So if this thing falls far enough, hard enough... You know, Bitcoin is not going away. A lot of these other currencies may totally go away. Right. But Bitcoin is not going to go away. The technology underlying Bitcoin is here to stay. The blockchain technology. And again, I am not a big, huge Bitcoin fan. All I'm saying is, like we said earlier in the show, there's no such thing as a bad asset. There's Mm -hmm. bad timing to own these assets. Right. And so... You know, on the backside of this madness, there will be an opportunity for Bitcoin and maybe Ether. But, you know, I still think it's way too early to start uh, start jumping in there because there could be a lot more of these fold up uh, before it's over. And we're going to probably also start to get some insight on just how many of these firms are doing the same thing that FTX was doing. 
And that was going to be my last question. Is crypto going away? In your opinion, it's not going to be. But I remember when the, there were home improvement stores in every other block, and now it's ended up with Lowe's and, and Home Depot. So it may be the same way with crypto. We may be down to just a, a, a couple of crypto coins. We're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd, Floyd Financial Group. We've been talking about FTX and cryptocurrency. And again, if you'd like to come and sit down with Randy and Jake and talk about your individual portfolio, if you do not have one, they will meet with you. No cost, no obligation, no judgment to get you on a path to retirement that's going to keep you there. Again, to get your new obligation plan with no cost and no judgment, 417-889-7233, or you can request it online at floydfinancialgroup.com. You're listening to Show Me the Money. Thank you for joining us here on this Saturday morning. We'll be right back with the final portion of our show right after this on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good. Because it's time for more Show Me the Money with your financial Sherpa, Randy Randy Floyd. Show Me the Money. And in this final segment today, we're going to be talking about taxes and specifically tax loss harvesting as one of the main topics. Yeah, and when I think of harvesting, I think about a bountiful harvest. We were talking about that off the air just a little bit. So, I don't know. Let's talk to people about what tax loss harvesting really is. Explain that. Yeah, so I think the, the first thing we need to need to really point out to people first and foremost when we talk about this, we're not talking about money in an IRA, a 401k, a 403b, or a Roth IRA because those are retirement accounts and you either have tax deferral on that or you're going to have, if it's a Roth, you know, you're, you're going to have gains that are not going to be taxed after the five years and 59 and a half anyway. So what we're really talking about here is money that you have saved and you've invested in probably a brokerage account and you've made some money over the years. Maybe you had that, uh, some of those assets out there, two, three, four, five years, and you've made some good money there. And now this year, all of a sudden, some of those shares are underwater and you have some red ink when you go out and you look at your cost basis versus where you are today. Maybe you paid, I'm just going to throw a number out here, $10,000 for an investment and now it's worth $5,000 or $7,500. Maybe you invested during the pandemic and you had one of these stocks that soared up 100% and now it's down 90% and you're wondering, I don't know what to do with this. I've lost all this money. How can I benefit from this? If you go out and you look at your cost basis and if you're underwater and you've held it more than a year, you can sell that and realize that capital loss. Now, if you have capital gains somewhere else, you can offset capital gain with capital loss. And we have to remember that there's two types. There's short-term capital gain, which is one year and less of holding the asset. And there's long-term capital gains, which is one year and more time that you've held the asset. If you don't have any long-term capital gain that you want to use the loss to offset, you can use it against your ordinary or regular income that you get from work or other short-term capital gains. You can use up to $3,000 per year to offset and reduce your taxes. So it gets a little complex. If you don't have a tax professional that you work with all the time, if you have questions about this, I would encourage people to feel free to give us a call. We'd be happy to kind of walk you through the process and uh, maybe help you assess where you are in the scheme of things here. But it's certainly an opportunity this year for lots of people to really 
you know, maybe last year they had a lot of capital gain because people were trying to sell off a little bit and protect. And now this year we got a lot of capital loss. It could be a way for us to actually get some tax money back or maybe mm-hmm. reduce our taxable income this year to where it's not going to hurt very bad. And maybe not at all. Well, when I talk about taxes, I mean, I don't understand it that much. So I look to Rod Link in your office to help me understand it. But if I'm hearing you correctly, that you can harvest up to $3,000, that's what the limit is, no matter how much you've lost. Is that the way it goes? So what it amounts to is, so if you have a long-term capital gain and a long-term capital loss, Mm -hmm. those two offset each other dollar for dollar. Mm -hmm. If you don't have any long-term capital gain that you need to offset and you take the long-term capital loss, you can use $3,000 per year to reduce your regular taxable income every year until you use it and you can carry it forward. But if you're offsetting capital gain in that year, it can be unlimited. It can be a huge number. So let's say that you have owned O'Reilly stock or Apple stock or something that's really highly appreciated and you've owned it for 20 years or something. And let's say that a lot of your portfolio is also in the bond market and you know you got killed this year in bonds and you really kind of have wanted to get out of your apple stock but you didn't want to have to pay all that tax what you can do is you can sell the apple stock and assuming you have enough losses to offset that gain you sell those bonds and then you can get out of that apple stock without having to pay all that tax so again we realize this is a little bit in the weeds and there's a lot to talk about here mm-hmm. and so if this is something you want to discuss give ashley a call here at the front desk and schedule a meeting and we'll we'll talk about this in great detail uh, relative to your situation. But we just want to make sure that people understand, number one, that tax loss harvesting is a thing in mm-hmm. general. Also, it has very interesting implications for the end of the year on the market. So if you think about the entire world has lost money in bonds mm-hmm. this year pretty much, and a lot of them have lost money on stocks. And at the end of this year, if those are not harvested before the end of the year, you can't use that on your taxes. So what do you think people are going to do the last week of the year when normally we have this Santa Claus rally thing going on, which we may still have, but there's going to be some added selling pressure because people are going to want to take advantage of those tax losses, especially the big boys, the the hedge funds that have $50 billion worth of non-qualified money. And they've been in Apple since... 1985 or whatever, you know, like, hey, I could actually get rid of this finally, you know, Mm -hmm. without without paying, you know, $10 billion in taxes. And so we may see some of those, especially the highly appreciated stocks that really haven't had an opportunity for people to sell really since the financial crisis, we may see the trigger get pulled on a lot of these big hedge fund managers. So we want to be a little careful holding some of these stocks that have done really well, certainly since the pandemic that really haven't come down as much just because they may get hit toward the end of the year here. Mm -hmm. And if the selling starts, it may really start if it's a really widely held position. So that's another thing that we can talk about uh, if that's something that concerns you when you come in for your consultation. Well, I think a lot of people are like me. We have a general understanding of what you're talking about with tax loss harvesting. But again, I leave it to the experts, uh, people like Rod Link in your office. Now, I know that uh, Randy and Jake, neither one of you are CPAs, but Rod Link is. When you're designing financial plans, I I mean, as I said, Rod Link being a CPA, does he sort of look over these plans? And what I mean by that is with the eye of a tax detective looking for these sort of opportunities that may be missed by other people who do not have someone like Rod Link looking over the their shoulder. I think that we have that 
available. But I'd say the way it more goes is that we have a lot of discussion with Rod Mm -hmm. as we build plans, just not necessarily plan by plan, but just in general, so that so that we know what we need to know in order to make his life easy as he goes to do taxes later, right? We can we're almost an extension where he can he can give us knowledge and right. we can make sure that we're not stepping on toes, so to speak, when it comes time to do taxes. And I think one, one more point real fast to the previous conversation is th- this is the first time that many people have ever lost money on bonds. Mm-hmm. And so that creates a, an extra layer of selling that's probably going to happen toward the end of this year where y- you may have owned bonds for 40 years and never been down or certainly not down substantially. And pretty much if you own bonds this year, you're down. Right. And so that's going to create an interesting thing. And and that's one of the reasons why, you know, when we're talking about Rod, you know, you know, he, he'll say, hey, you know, keep an eye out for, you know, tax loss harvesting and opportunities, things like that. And those are discussions that we can have whenever, whenever he's around. Yeah, I think, you know, just to, to kind of continue down that vein, you know, whenever we're talking about Roth conversions and when people are concerned about taxes in the future, this tax loss harvesting, we're talking about taxation in general. Like Jake said, it's just conversations that we have all the time here, you know, and Rod, you know, spends time in here every week with us and with our clients uh, that that use him to do taxes. And then again, again, we keep him, you know, where like last week I had a situation that came up that I really needed some clarity on. And so I bebop down to Rod's office and say, hey, what about this deal, you know? And so mm-hmm. we had a good discussion about it. And if we have if we have specific client information, he's definitely going to be involved. We're not we're not over here doing taxes, yeah. you know, and, and making tax decisions and giving tax advice. What we are doing is kind of being, like you've alluded to before, being the financial Sherpa, right? Right, right. And taxes are a huge portion of any retirement plan or any investment plan and, and you, you can't afford to ignore those things. But again, I just wanted to be clear that if there's if there's a specific a specific situation like the Roth conversion or whatever, it's absolutely going to go in front of Rod and he will help us run those calculations. So he's there as a resource, but mm-hmm. he doesn't have to be involved if if people don't want him to be involved. I just want to be clear yeah. on that. And one other thing I'd like to throw out here right quick. Jake alluded to something earlier that people may be confused by. And he he said, you know, if you've owned bonds for a long time, you may not have lost any money in a bond in 40 years. And it's true that you could have owned bonds and you could be where you really never, ever in the last 40 years had a totally negative quarter. And so I think we need to probably explain and just a little bit behind the scenes of why that would be and how that's different now. So what it amounts to is, if you look back over your shoulder, Jeff, in 1981, the 10-year Treasury bill paid 15-plus percent in interest. And then over the next 40 years, it went down to 0.53. And now with Jerome Powell raising interest rates, we're probably up around 4% on that same instrument. So what it amounts to is, if I have a 15% bond, and as time rolls forward, all anybody can buy is a 12% bond... Is my 15% bond worth more or less than I paid for it? The answer is it's worth more because it pays more interest. 
And so as that happened over the last 40 years, people got their interest rate, plus they got appreciation or an increased value because as interest rates fall, any bond I bought yesterday is worth more today. And now we're to the other side of that where starting in March of this year, Mr. Powell started raising interest rates and bonds really started to implode and go down. So we're in a very unique situation. I would encourage people, if you're wondering about tax loss harvesting, call us and I will give you one other thing to think about. That is, we're toward the tail end of the year. We stay pretty busy here. But if you're calling specifically to talk about tax loss harvesting and to have an appointment, you need to let Ashley know that so she can let me know so that I can try to find a crack at our schedule to help you out. We're running short of time, uh, gentlemen, this week. Again, a lot of great information on the program today. I want to remind people we are a podcast. Go to wherever you get your podcast. Search uh, Flight Financial Group, show me the money, and you can hear our show all over again right there. As I said, out of time, I want to thank you for your time, Randy and Jake. But most importantly, I want to thank the fine people here of uh, Springfield, Missouri, the last bastion. We are thankful that you have joined us every Saturday morning. For Randy and Jake, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Show me the money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk.